Well, it's the first time I've heard that word in church. <laughs> Guess last week Brad pretended to unzip his pants too. What's going on down here? I don't get it. <laughs> oh, man. So funny. I, I uh, you know, if you listen to the lyrics of that song, I, I want to be a, a billionaire. Billionaire. Really? I mean, I feel like, you know Austin Powers, that show, where it's like, I want you to need 100,000, what's that? The guy whispers in there, $1 million. We've crossed it. We don't want to be millionaires anymore. Hang out with the poppers who only have a million dollars. We want to be billionaires now, right? We've just reached a whole new, a whole new level in American greed. It's great. Can't, can't believe it. It's just never enough. But today we're talking, like I said, about generosity. What is generosity? Generosity is uh, just, just being ready to give more than what is expected, you know? Uh, not just the expectation, but giving beyond that. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with being a billionaire. You saw it. Brad was a billionaire. He's on Forbes magazine. And uh, so there's nothing wrong with that, you know? And maybe, I just want, before we start, because I want to remove any roadblocks from you being able to connect with the rest of this message. Because a lot of us here today are probably struggling with that issue. I'm a billionaire, and I wonder, is that wrong? And it's not. Okay, I just want you to be, okay? Collective sigh of relief. It's okay to be a billionaire. However, if you caught the opener, you noticed that in that song, and you probably weren't counting, but I, I did, because I knew we were doing the song, that the motivation behind the song was what? Not giving. I want to be on Forbes magazine. I want to have my own TV show. I'm going to dunk on the president. Whatever. He, uh, there were 31 I statements. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And you know, again, I say it's not, there's nothing wrong with being a billionaire. Money is just money. The danger we risk falling into is what we allow money to do to us or what we do with our money, right? I read this uh, as I was preparing. I came across, there was a TV show called The Curse of the Lottery. And uh, so many of us just believe if we just, you know, if we won the lotto, all of our problems would be solved, right? That's, we, that's what we think here in America, that, that money solves our problems. And this documentary went through the lives of people who had won the lottery. And the, it's just astounding. Person after person after person whose life after winning the lottery actually went in the completely opposite direction. Their life fell apart. I'll just, a couple quick ones here that I just find to be absolutely stunning. William Budd, in quotes, that's apparently what everyone called him, Budd. William Budd Post won $16.2 million in the Pennsylvania lottery but he now lives on his social security. When you a- asked what he thought about winning it, he said, I wish it had never happened. It was a total nightmare. This guy, check this out. This guy wins $16.2 million in the lotto. He's living on, on, on his uh, welfare now, or social security, I guess. And uh, his, his ex-girlfriend sues him and wins a big chunk of the money. His brother... This is sweet. Hires a hitman to kill him so he can inherit it. Um, his, he had some people who, who uh, coerced him through physical aggression to invest in their businesses. And he actually ended up going to jail because he shot a gun at, he shot at a bill collector. The guy's life unraveled. 
Another one that I found pretty interesting. Now, you'll, this, is a, this is so rare. Uh, Evelyn Adams, she, she won the lottery two years in a row. Now, that's just not fair, right? That's just flat out not fair. But she won two years in a row to the, to the tune of five and a half million, $5.4 million. And again, her deal, same deal, she, she lost all of her money and uh, it's, it's all gone. And she said, you know, winning the lottery isn't what it's cracked up to be. And the reason it's not cracked, what it's not cracked up to be, because money is just money. And if we think money is the solution, we're going to be disappointed. Money will never be the solution. What we do with money can corrupt us. Having it's just what it is. You know, the risk we fall into is what we allow money to do to us or what we do with the money. You know, it's, I, I, you take out a dollar bill and you look at it, what's it say on the dollar? In God we trust. Yeah, our money says in God we trust, but our actions, our actions actually demonstrate that we trust the money which that statement is written on a whole lot more than the God that that's stated about. It's just the truth. Here's a great story. I, I want to <laughs> tell you this story. It's really, really, uh, apparently a true story. But um, so there's, there's a, a pastor, Leighton Farrell. He was a pastor of a church, Highland Park Church in Dallas, Texas. I don't really know too much about the church. But the story goes like this. He was pastoring the church, and one of the people who attended there was a young guy. came up to him and he said, Hey, I want to make a covenant with you that I will always give 10% of my money to the church. And so they agreed on this. It was great. So the first year that he made uh, $10,000, he tithed the 1000 And the first year that he made $100,000, he tithed $10,000. And he, the, the year that he made a million dollars, he tithed $100,000. And it sounds like such a great story on how we follow the principle of tithing, but wait, it continues. Because something happened the year he made $6 million. And he sat down to write his check for $6 million. He said, I just couldn't do it. So he called the pastor up and, and he says, I need to meet with you. So the pastor schedules a meeting. He walks into the, he, he, he goes into the uh, office of the pastor and uh, once he walks in, he, he just begs the pastor to be let out of his covenant. So I gotta, you gotta, you gotta let me out of this covenant. And he, he said this, quote, this tithing business has to stop. It was fine when my tithe was $1,000, but I cannot afford $600,000. You gotta do something, Reverend. So, the pastor got down on his knees right there and started praying. And he prayed for kind of a long time. And, and after a while, this guy who had the covenant interrupted the prayer and he says, what are, you, what are you doing, pastor? Are you praying that God will release me from the covenant? And the pastor stood up and looked at him and he said, no, I'm praying that God redu- would reduce your salary back to the point where you could give $1,000 again. See, and the point is, if you look at it, year one, he lived off of $9,000. He still had almost 5.4 million dollars left and that was not enough. See, the problem is not money. The problem is what we allow it to do to us. If you can live off 9,000, I'm pretty sure you can live off of 5.4 million. That's just me. One of the things we've done around here um, we, we, about three months ago, we, we asked you guys to consider 
taking this three-month tithing challenge, the money-back guarantee. You guys remember this? No? <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was... When I ask questions, I'm actually talking to you, so, you know. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, uh, we did this... We offered this challenge to you guys here at the Red Box and, and at the White Building up north, too. And... Uh, if you're not aware of this, what we said is, hey, test and see. God promises to meet your needs. And we were teaching on that passage, and we said, for the next three months, we challenge you to challenge God on this and see if that's not true. And if at the end of three months, you feel God has not kept his promise, you can come get your money back. We were able to capture some stories. We've been hearing many stories from people who've taken this challenge. We're going to take a look at a video of uh, some people. And I just, before we even show this video, there are more. We're capturing more of these videos as we go. When you go home today, if you want to go to the K2 website, you can hear the story of John and Julie Russell, who's also on there. And we're going to be putting more of them on there. But before we go any further, I'd just love for you to check out this video about these people who have taken the three-month challenge and what that has done for their life. I kind of believe in this idea of the prosperity gospel where if you do this and this and this, God will bless you in so many different ways. And so I kind of made this little checklist in my mind of things that I was willfully giving up, like sinful habits that I was crossing off of the list, and I expected good things to keep happening in my life. I would tithe irregularly, and by that I mean maybe like two or three times a year. Like I definitely showed up to K2 a lot and just let the bag pass me by. When my dad would talk to me about tithing or something, it was like, Adam, you need to tithe because like it's God's money. And I was just like, he didn't earn it. I need to go spend this for me. Like It was all about me. As a waiter at one of the nicest steakhouses in the, in the city, it's really easy for me to put all the bills and have some extra money left over to spend and I would usually spend it on the things that I didn't really need to. I remember thinking to myself, you know, like a lot of people know that I'm a Christian and it's because of what I say, but like there's a there's a part of me that really feels like money is my God. And I've always been thinking like how am I going to get more money and how am I going to do it the way I want to. And when the tithing challenge came along, I was like thinking to myself, you know, I've made this much money in the past couple months. Like, I'm literally at a point where I can afford to give 10% away without any second thought as to where that goes. And I was like, okay, well, I need to make this commitment right now to give this money. Not because I feel compelled to, but because it's money that I don't really need and I'm blowing it on things that are pretty material, materialistic as far as most people are concerned. In the past three months now that I've been tithing regularly 10% and I have picked up a few other things that I figure are a good use of my money. I've been blessed tremendously. I, I can't even explain how good the past three months of my life have been. And it feels great making this money and knowing that I can comfortably give 10% away. And not only comfortably, but like willfully and like joyfully give it away. That's the best part. Like thinking, I made this much money tonight and alright, I get to give this much money away. That's exciting. It's really exciting actually. I've just been able to trust God a ton more, like, a ton more. Like, if I'm trusting Him with money, which is generally the most important thing for anybody here on this planet, then I can actually trust Him with some other parts of my life as well. Because, like, I've given Him my number one, or 
what would have been my number one and said, all right, I'm giving you this. This is yours to control. So I think he'll help me out in other parts of my life. And nothing really has happened. You know, like, I haven't won the lottery. I haven't found the girl of my dreams. I'm not making hundreds of thousands of dollars selling art. But I'm not worried about that anymore either. And the trust that I have in God that he is going to take care of me above and beyond what I ever thought was possible is awesome. In November of last year, um, my wife and I decided that for personal reasons and family reasons, we were going to move back to Minnesota. We used to live in St. Paul. She's from there. Um, I'm from here. But the plan was this wasn't going to be, you know, right away we're going to move to Minnesota. I mean, it was maybe more of a six to eight month um, timeline that we were looking at. Well, we're there visiting family over Thanksgiving and just came across the perfect exact house for our family. And uh, someone spoke to me in my heart that, you know what, take a leap of faith um, and, and make an offer. We did this, bought the second house without even speaking to my company, without even having financing lined up, without even knowing if my company would be okay with me relocating and being in the Twin Cities and giving me another job there. Just complete leap of faith. So we put the offer on the house, it was accepted, and then the tough part came of actually trying to find financing. We ended up going at the end of the day to my uncle, my great uncle, for a interfamily loan, you know, secured by a promissory note and everything. End of February, I believe it was when Dave initiated the three-month challenge, we're actually at K2 North for some reason that day, and I, I don't know why, because we always go to K2 South. And Dave is delivering the message, and, and we're sitting right over there, not too far from the front, and uh, he is speaking about tithing and giving back to God and what's rightfully his anyway, and he deserves a portion of it, right? We had tithed and, and um, done charitable work and, you know, Kids Against Hunger and uh, Pioneer Park, things like that. But I knew in my heart that I, we hadn't given what we should. Um, and so in the car, on the, on the drive home, it was almost like a foregone conclusion. Like, we're going to do the three-month challenge. You know, and Jessica was like definitely on board. So she um, pays it forward, if you will, a pretty big chunk for the next three months. Well, maybe a week later or something, I get a call from my uncle. It's kind of out of the blue. He wants to talk to me. So I call him back, and he says, well, I've been thinking, and, you know, that money I've loaned you, I'd like to give you half of it, just as a gift. Now, at this point, obviously, we've, we've made the three-month challenge, you know, donation. A couple weeks later, we're driving down to Disneyland um, over Easter. We're on the drive, and uh, I talk to my, my boss, and he says, hey, there's some three positions that are going to be created across the country. Um, they're marketing positions. They'd you know, be a really great progression in your career and allow you to develop some new opportunities. Uh, the vice president of marketing is interested in talking with you if you want to chat with them. So I call him up after we spend the weekend down in Disneyland, and he basically says, you know, this will be a same promotion you would have had in that regional director position in the, in the Rocky Mountains, and I'm completely fine if you want to live in the Twin Cities. We love this center part of the country. You, you call me and you tell me if you want the job. It's, it's totally up to you. So again, I'm just like floored, just flabbergasted. So finally, the new position's approved. You know, I'm officially offered the position as a candidate. 
and uh, my new boss, the vice president of marketing, calls me. Says, "Hey, I want to give you the official offer." I said, "Great." And he says, "No, by the way, we're going to move you across the country. We're going to take care of all your moving expenses. Uh, we're going to help you sell your house here. Um, you know, if you can't sell it, we'll give you a, a guaranteed buyout. We can't cover all your losses, but we'll cover some of them." And I was like, "Wow, you know, amazing!" And yet again, God is like raining blessing down upon us. As I've moved up through the ranks of the years, every time I was going to come to a promotion or another job, I've always selfishly thought, well, we're going to have this much more money, we can do this or that. And I'm not really thinking about that at all this time. I'm more thinking about, you know, how can I give back to God or what can I do for others in, in regards to what we're going to receive. So my brain has been, and heart, have been almost rewired in a way. And it's been, you know, pretty amazing experience. Just great stories. And the key for me on both of those stories is yes, in one, God provided some finance and some things like that. But in both of those stories, it was an issue of the heart. That what God did by, in, in their lives by them allowing, uh, by, by them trusting God with their finance, He changed what was happening inside of them. And both of those guys have new relationships with Jesus as a result. Not that they weren't believers anymore, but their relationship is refreshed and renewed and they think differently. It's awesome. I don't know for you guys, maybe, maybe you've taken that challenge. We'd love to hear your story because I feel like when we hear stories about how God follows through on his word, it's such an uplifting uh, to our spirits. So we'd love to hear those stories. And if you haven't, I would encourage you to take that first step. But as I said, today we're going to be talking uh, about generosity and the thing about generosity is that, that it's something that extends far beyond our wallets. Generosity is an attitude, and it affects every part of our life. It's not dependent on money. Let me ask you this, mom, dad, brother, sister, boss, employee, college student, whoever you are, and you probably wear many of those roles, would you characterize yourself as generous? Think about that for a second. How about this? Would those who know you, the circle of people that you ha- hang with, would, would they characterize you as generous? And maybe even more importantly, would God? I want to take the next few minutes that we have here this morning and to dive into that question and look into this passage in Second Corinthians to really help us understand what it means to be generous in, in God's eyes. And as we look at this passage today, I believe that there are four essential characteristics of generosity that we can use as a benchmark to measure ourselves against. The first thing is this, that generosity is always a state of the heart and never a matter of possession. It's always a state of the heart, never a matter of possession. Check this out. Look at First or Second Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. We already read this. I'm going to read it again. He says this. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Again, the very poor church. Though they, uh, they're, they're being tested by many troubles, and they're very poor, but they're also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the in the gift for believers in Jerusalem. 
They did it more than we had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. A couple things about that passage. You can see that this church in Macedonia was characterized, those that knew them said, they are a generous church. But what's also known about them is they're not an affluent church. They're facing troubles, they didn't have money, but the character was generous. And the key, in my opinion, on this point is at the very last verse. They did even more than we had hoped for, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to. And I have this little phrase that I use. There's actually Gail Sayers, a former football pro, wrote a book called I Am Third. And the point of the book is God is first, others are second, and then what's left is for me. And see, I think that the problem we have oftentimes is we completely flip that upside down. I'm first. What I don't use, I'll give to others. What's not absorbed by others, I can give to God. The key is, the heart issue is putting God first, others second, and myself third. I love this uh, story in Mark. Jesus is talking, he's, he's teaching a story, and they're actually... Uh, it's recorded in Mark, and, and I'm just going to read it to you. It's from chapter 12, verse 41 through 44, and it goes like this. Jesus sat down near the collection box uh, in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in, uh, dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. You see, she gave from the heart. They gave from a surplus. And if you want to know if it's from your heart, evaluate what your motivation is. What motivation would she have to give her to... What, if she gives two small coins in the midst of all these people giving large amounts, are people going to go, wow, big money girl there? No. She's giving from her heart because she said, this is what I have to give to God. Where these other people, some of them are giving and just the notoriety and the fame. Look at me, I'm wealthy. The first point is this. The generosity is always a state of the heart, never a matter of possession. Second thing about generosity is this. The generosity demonstrates our true love. If you look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, he says this. I'm actually going to read it. Well, I'm going to read it from a couple different translations. The first one says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So here's what he's saying. This is not something you have to do. Again, what is generosity? Giving more than you have to do. Giving above and beyond what is expected or normal. And what he's saying is, check the sincerity of your love. What do you love? Check that by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And and earnestness. Okay, that's kind of an interesting word. What, What is earnestness? How sincere are we about this? So he says, don't check your generosity by comparing the amount of money you give compared to others. 
He says, check your generosity by, care, by, by seeing in comparison. How earnest are you compared to others? You know, if you, if you love, in other words, what he's saying here is if you love these, these sister churches, if you love these Christians in Jerusalem, your actions will follow, right? Money says in God we trust, but our actions demonstrate we trust the money. And he's saying if you, if you love, your actions will demonstrate it by your giving. A great story that shows the flip side of this is in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And you guys may know the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Well, at this time in the Bible, uh, it's kind of a transition time for the church. The Holy Spirit had come and a lot of the church was just living in, in community, in true community. And they were giving everything, they were selling it, and they were giving all the money for the common good. So that if anyone needed something, I could just go to the pool, grab what I needed. Nothing was really mine, it was just ours. So Ananias and Sapphira are really interesting. I'm going to read this, verse 1. It says, But there was a certain man named Ananias, who, with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. You kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not. After selling it, the money was yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. The point he's making here is, look, this isn't generous. You're playing a game here. You're trying to get on this community pot. You're keeping some for yourself because you don't really believe, you don't really love the others as much as yourself. You don't really trust God's going to provide for you. This isn't from the heart. And you didn't even have to do it. See, this was a positioning back to number one. It's not a matter of what people see or demonstrate. This is giving from the heart. And that's not where it came from. The third thing is this. Generosity demonstrates that we understand the principle of stewardship and that all that I have... I have been given. And I would say I have been given with the purpose, the express purpose of being able to give to others. God's word's really clear on this. All we have, we have received with the purpose of giving. Second Corinthians 9.10 says this. For God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and the bread and then bread to eat. In the same, he'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. What do we learn from this? Three things. That if we understand stewardship, we understand that God gave us everything we have. What I have is directly from God. Secondly, he gives it to me so that I can give it back. He doesn't give it to me so I can hoard and become a billionaire and and end up on Forbes magazine. He gives it so that I can be a steward of it Luke twelve forty eight. he says, To whom much has been given, much is required. To whom much more has been given, much more is required. And the point is this, that if God has blessed you, his expectation is that you're going to give. If God has abundantly blessed you, his expectation is that you will be abundantly generous. 
So first thing is that generosity is always a state of the heart. It's not a matter of possession. Second thing is that generosity demonstrates our true love. The third thing is that generosity demonstrates that we understand the principle of stewardship and all that I have I've been given by God. You know, I would just say this on that point. See, that's a great example of the man in the story that I told who made the covenant with the pastor. See, he made a covenant when he didn't have much. You ever, you ever find this? You don't have much and so you're willing to risk. And then God blesses you. And as he blesses you, you start to get protective of your stuff. And the more he blesses you, the more protective you get. See, what didn't happen in that story, the, being, the guy didn't understand that what he had was given to him by God. And if you, if you believe, you receive, if you really believe you've received everything you have from God, how much is too much to give back to him? And I've got to tell you, this, we're focusing a lot on money, and this is what this passage is about. But I, generosity, the very first thing, is, it's an attitude. It's not about money. It's about money. It's about time. It's about words. It's about affections. It's about talents. What you have received as a steward, you are to give back. fourth thing is this. Generosity meets the needs of others and glorifies God. He says at the end of chapter 9, he closes this chapter out by saying this, verses 11 through 14. Yes, you will be enriched in every way. And this is right after he's just said that God has given you this stuff so that you can give to others. The same God who provides the seed for the farmer provides the food for everyone to eat. And then he says this, he goes, yes, you'll be enriched in every way so you can always be generous. You will receive so you can give. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, the Jerusalem churches he's specifically referring to, two good things will result from this ministry of giving. Here they are. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. First thing that happens is that needs are met when we're generous. You ever go through, and this is, I'm, just so you know, when I make statements, uh, I'm, I'm including myself in this. You ever go through your house and look at all the stuff you have, and you're like, how in the world? Goodness gracious, I don't even need half this stuff. Well, if you get rid of a lot of the stuff you have, simple things like going to the DI or going to Salvation Army, giving clothes you don't even wear anymore, that actually meets someone's needs. But the first thing is that people's needs are met. And then they joyfully express their thanks to God. And again, as we saw with the Macedonians, when we are joyful, our generosity wells up inside of us and it perpetuates itself. They become generous as well. Then he says, the second thing, as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. See, they'll understand that this is a godly principle. They will glorify God because their needs have been met. They see God as the provider. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news. Again, generosity demonstrates our true love. It proves that we believe in the good news of Jesus Christ when you're generous. If you're not generous, you're not really proving that.
And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. So again, their needs are met, God is glorified, and love is proved. The gospel plays out. Again, as I was researching for this message, I came across another great story. And I'm just going to read this story to you because it's so great. Tony Campolo is uh, an author, scholar, teacher, itinerant speaker across the country. He's outspoken and brash, and he says a lot of crazy stuff, and I love it. And uh, this, this is a story that I read about him. Tony Capola tells of being invited to speak at a ladies' meeting. There were 300 women there. Before he spoke, the president of the organization read a letter from a missionary. It was a very moving letter. In the letter, the missionary expressed the need for $4,000 to take care of an emergency that had cropped up. So the president of the organization said, we need to pray that God will provide the resources to meet the need of this missionary. Brother Campolo, will you pray for us? Tony Campolo, who's very outspoken, said, No. Startled, she said, I I beg your pardon? He said, No, I won't pray for that. He said, I believe that God has already provided the resources and that every bit of cash, uh, uh, and that, sorry, let me read that again. God has provided the resources. and that all we need to do is give. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to step up to this table and give every bit of cash I have in my pocket. And if all of you will do the same thing, I think God has already provided the resources. The president of the organization chuckled a little bit and said, well, I guess the point is he's trying to teach us is that we all need to give sacrificially. He said, no, that is not what I'm trying to teach you. Uh, I'm trying to teach you that God has already provided for this missionary. All we need to do is give it. Here, I'm going to put down all of the money I have with me. He only had $15 in his pocket, so he put $15 down, and then he looked at the president of the organization. Reluctantly, she opened her purse and took out all of her money, which is about $40, and put it on the table. One by one, the rest of the ladies filed by and put their money on the table too. When the money was counted, they had collected more than $4,000. Tony Campolo said, Now, here's the lesson. God always supplies for our needs, and he supplied for this missionary too. The only problem was, we were keeping it for ourselves. Now, let's pray and thank God for his provision. You know, let me ask you this. What happens inside your heart when you hear a story like that? Do you become inspired to be more like Tony Campolo who steps up the plate and puts principle into practice? Or do you want to respond like the president of the organization who wants to walk away having learned one more good lesson about God that will not change a thing in her life or the life of those she could be directly influencing? See, the problem is not that we need to know more about God. We know tons about God. Every single person in this room knows lots about God. The problem is we need to put into practice what we already know. And we know that being generous is the will of God. God has supplied enough in this world that no person should go without a meal. 
yet we keep it for ourselves. There's a verse that says, don't withhold good. And again, I'm not just talking about money. When it's in your power, don't withhold good when you have it in your power. I'm not just talking about money. How often could we speak a word to someone that I know they need to hear, but I don't do it? That's not, that's not an attitude of generosity. How often do we have time when I could, I could give time to my kids, but I want to watch the stinking television instead? Is that generous? No. That's me first, not third. I ask again, as I did at the beginning of the message today, Mom, dad, college student, brother, sister, father, boss, employee, whatever your role is. Would you consider yourself generous? Would those around you consider yourself generous? And most importantly, would God? You know, an Old Testament principle, when they, what they used to do when, with the Israelites in Leviticus, Le, Leviticus he, he tells them, what you need to do is, is when, you're, when you're harvesting your fields... Okay? When you're harvesting your fields, don't take every bit of... Don't, don't harvest it all. Leave the edges so that people who don't have can come get. Be generous. And the more you have, be more generous. Leave more. That's what was taught to the Israelites. Is that how you live your life? Or do you harvest every piece in your field? If you want to know if you're generous, I think the, the answer lies within those four characteristics of generosity. And you have to ask, we have to ask ourselves, is this true of my life? Is my giving coming from, from the heart? Or is it coming from compulsion? Do I feel like I have to do it? Are you reluctant when you give? Am, am I truly grateful for, for all I have? And do I really, here's, here's a key. Do, you, do, do we really believe really that all that we have is a gift from God I mean, really I have to tell you I struggle with that I think I'm a hard worker and a lot of this stuff that I've got I worked hard to get see my head knows that all I have is a gift from God my heart hasn't quite caught that one yet Am I truly grateful for all I have or do I feel entitled? Do I live like this? Remember Dave talking about this? Do I live with my hands open or do I live holding my things like this? The grateful heart lives like this. And what does my generosity demonstrate that I love? Am I like Ananias and Sapphira? Am I generous to myself? Or am I gener- generous to others? And this is one, this is my wife Susie she said, you know, you know what's another one? You need to ask people, are you irritated that I'm talking about money today and generosity? Because if you are, maybe a flag for you. You might want to consider that that might be God touching your heart and saying, you're not really generous. I sat down and I tried to think, and I don't need to do this for you. I was going to try and go through a list of things why I'm not generous. Actually, based on why I'm not generous. I'd rather not tell you that anyways, but I just want to do something as we close out and the band can come on forward. 
here, here are some things you can do today. If you feel like God may be challenging you to be more generous or you'd like to even become more generous, the first thing is this. If, you've, if you have not yet taken this three-month challenge, and truthfully, again, the three-month challenge is not a three-month challenge, okay? A little bait and switch on this one. We believe that when you let go of your money and give your 10% to God as a life practice, your life will change. Your trust in God will grow. Your heart will be transformed as both Bo and Adam said. But try it for three months and if you're out after three months, come get your money back. That's one, that could be a first step for you. Another thing you may want to do is, I, I was saying, I, said, I was talking through with Susan and I said, you know, volunteer. And she goes, don't use that word. It's a horrible word. She said, give yourself away. It could, again, this could be words. It could be talents. It could be time. So many areas where our heart can demonstrate generosity through our actions. Give yourself away. What does someone need that you can provide? Do that. It could be money. It might not. And in everything you do, ask yourself this. Am I third? Am I considering what God desires first, what others need second, and myself third? Finally, I'll just close with this, and I want to pray with you again this morning. As we head into, as Brad leads us into worship this morning, musical worship. This is hard stuff, just so you know. If you feel like I'm up here condemning you and going, you guys need to give, this is just hard stuff. This is hard for me. And it's harder for some than others. But if you really want to live as God tells us to in these two two, two chapters in this verse, to be generous, and you're struggling with that, I would say start with this. Pray that God would help you. I'm going to do that with you right now. Before I pray, I'm just going to give us just a second. Just a second. And you may want to have a specific prayer that you pray silently, that, that, that you can connect with God, ask Him to help you in the area you're struggling with. And then I'm just going to pray corporately. And, we can, and then Brad's going to take us out. So pray with me if you would, please. Jesus, I pray that uh, this morning you would, you, would, you would change our hearts. I pray that we would see the example of the Macedonians who, though they were poor and being just afflicted, that their generous hearts demonstrated that their joy would not be found in circumstance or possession, but in you and following you wholeheartedly. Pray that we could follow the example of Jesus who gave everything, his whole life. He became poor so that we could be rich. 
Every one of us here this morning struggles with some area of our life where we want to be more generous or need to be more generous. Maybe we don't want to be more generous, but where you are calling us to give, to be a person who is third. And that's my prayer this morning, Lord Jesus, that you would make all of us third in our own life. We would put you first, others second, and ourselves third, and believe wholeheartedly that you are faithful You have given us all we have and you are faithful to provide our needs. You will do it because you promised to do it. Guide us, Lord Jesus. Save us from ourselves. We love you so much.